Ahoy, and welcome into another exciting episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Megler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health treatment, and I go through the dilemmas that I'm seeing in my practice, both as a school social worker and as a social worker in private practice. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-toothed Patterdale Terrier, and Mariska is in fine spirits today because for the first time in a couple weeks, she and I get to get outside together. Um, since I tore my Achilles tendon, I've been um, unable to be very mobile, but I was on my little knee scooter and we ran around the block with my family with a little walk. And so the weather was good today for early March. Often that's not the case, but we'll take it. So today I wanted to just give a little bit of a 101, sort of what we call gatekeeper training. Gatekeeper training is everybody who cares about someone who may have mental health conditions, particularly depression, needs to be aware of what to do if a person is threatening suicide. So I got an email from one of my students saying, hey, I'm really worried about my friend. They're making these statements. What do I do? And I get these emails several times a year. So step one is we need to confirm with them like it, we, it's okay to ask anyone if you're ever having that fear. If a person's like, well, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Or if they're making a statement that makes you concerned about their safety, then don't be afraid to ask them directly, hey, are you going to be alive tomorrow? Don't necessarily just ask, are you going to be safe? Because safe could mean for some people, like, are you safe if you're self-injuring? Well, in my experience, a person who's self-injuring is pretty much as safe as someone who's going to go drink alcohol. It's not a great choice, but at the same time, it's very, very unlikely to kill you on its own. So be concrete, be direct. Can you promise me that you're going to be alive tomorrow? Person's like, yeah, what are you talking about? Gosh, well, sorry, but what you were just saying there made me concerned. If they are saying something, or again, in the case of my student, she could not get in touch with her friend. Her friend was not answering text messages, was not answering phone calls. So if you have that concern, uh, the next step is to ideally try to call someone who lives with them. So if you have the contact information for if they live with a roommate, if they live with their parents, go ahead and contact that person. And if the person that you're, you know, caring about, if they're upset about that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you contacted my parents. Well, then don't leave scary messages for me and then not respond. So that's their fault and their problem. But often we don't, they don't live with anyone or we don't have the contact information for the people they live with. So the next step you can do is you can say to them, hey, listen, you've got 20 minutes to respond to me or I'm going to call the police. And if you know what town they live in, you can do uh, ask, contact the police non-emergency number. You don't have to call 911. And you can have the police do a wellness check. And you just say, hey, my friend Bob, he, the la I can't, can't get in hold of him. The last thing he said was very distressing. He has a history of depression. Is there any way that you could send someone by his apartment, his dorm, whatever that is, and check and make sure he's okay? And again, they will probably be annoyed. But that is what they get if they're saying things that are concerning and then not responding right away. So if you don't, know, even sometimes we don't even know what town exactly the person lives in. So then you, if you have their cell phone number, you can contact your local police. And again, you can call 911 or you can use the non-emergency number. And you can say, hey, listen, I have a person that I'm concerned about. I only, here's the information that I know. Sometimes the only challenge that I've uh, gotten in this case, the case that my student reached out to me is that she doesn't, 
they don't contact each other on cell phones. They they use Snapchat. And sometimes she's like, I don't even know, like she's friends with this person, but she doesn't even know the person's real last name. She only knows their first name and their Snapchat handle. So again, that, that kind of thing can be a little bit more challenging. So what I do recommend to people is, uh, and what I'll say to them often, is if you have a friend who has been making somewhat concerning statements, and then it turned out that they were okay, well, the next day you have to have a little bit of a come to Jesus talk with them and say, hey, listen, I was really concerned about you. I do need to know, like, what your last name is. I need to know the name of, like, the phone number of somebody else I can reach out to if I'm ever really worried about you. Because it's not cool that I was left in that circumstance where I was just really worried and I didn't know where to go with it. We don't have to worry that we're going to be suggesting suicide to someone. Like, we're going to bring it up and they're going to die because you're like, well, I wasn't thinking about it, but now that you mention it, suicide sounds like a great idea. That never happens. You, No matter how much I hear the word suicide, I am not going to die by suicide. Like, that's not a thing that's going to happen. I'm not going to think of it. It's not going to go on the me- my menu of options if I'm a healthy person. So you do not ever have to worry that you are going to be the reason why a person dies by suicide by just asking about it. You should, though, sometimes be worried that when we don't ask about it, when we don't check, when we don't get people to the right level of care, that something bad could happen. Most typically, the worst thing that happens is you just had a terrible night of sleep because you didn't know what was going on with them and you were up all night worrying. So rather than tossing and turning, get somebody else involved, get somebody to check on them. So again, these are things that we say are kind of gatekeeper training, get the person to that higher level of care. I can understand why someone would not want to get the police involved if in any way they could avoid it. And so again, that's not um, the first call. If, you know, we would like to contact someone who knows them, but often we're stuck in a situation where the police are the only people who can get access. So don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. They tell us like you know again we as therapists will often have clients who say oh if you tell anybody about this then i'm never going to talk to you again and my experience has been the opposite that even the the kids who say that um or my clients who would say that they actually trust me more after i have broken well it's really not it's not breaking confidentiality because in that circumstance that's what we say you know when we say out front in the beginning of a relationship the circumstances under which I'm going to break confidentiality are if you say you're going to hurt yourself, someone else, or anything about even witnessing child abuse or abuse of the elderly. So if it's one of those three things, and now if I don't tell someone about it, I'm actually violating their trust. Because I've said, I've made this contract with the person that these are the circumstances. Under no, I always, in my first session with people, I'll say, so if you rob a bank, would I tell anyone? And they're like, I don't know, would you? And I'll say, not unless you used a child or an old person to do it. So unless we're doing that violence, I cannot tell anybody. If you committed a murder, will I tell anyone? Well, yeah, then you will. No, I can't even report it if you committed a murder, unless you're saying my hobbies are playing the piano and murder. And that's if I have reason to believe you're going to keep going and murdering. But if the police do come to me and they ask me, so did Bob murder anybody? I have to be like, yeah, Bob. I can't cover up a murder for you, but I do not necessarily have to report that. And they'll say, wow, that's messed up. Well, the reason for that is my goal is always to help people be the healthiest version of themselves. So if a person has done bad things, if a person has sexually assaulted someone, if a person is a cat burglar, if a person is, I have worked, I worked with a young man many years ago who 
to get into his gang. He had to get jumped, he had to get a tattoo, and he had to shoot somebody. And so, again, he was pushed out of a car, put behind some kid wearing a hat of a different color, shot that kid in the back of the head, jumped back in the car, drove away. Him telling me that, he didn't even know who the kid he shot was. But the point is, he did that thing. Me going to the police about that is not going to bring that person back to life. It is going to prevent, though, us from having a relationship. So there's reasons for that confidentiality. Again, that being said, you as a friend, as a teacher, as a coach, as an aunt, do don't have that necessarily that level of expectation of confidentiality. Um, if you know about some things, you may need to report them. And it, when in doubt, if you're not sure what to do, consult with somebody else. Whenever you get information and you're not sure what to do with it, you don't necessarily, you can call your parent, your best friend, someone else. You could say, hey, I'm not going to tell you the names of the people involved, but here's the situation. What do you think? And we're not just trying to canvas other people. It's not a democracy and a vote. We're trying to say, am I missing something here? We're trying to, especially if we don't often get this kind of information shared with us, it can be overwhelming. It can be emotional. And so sometimes when we get this kind of information, we just freeze. We're like, oh my God, I, I, this person said this to me and I didn't do anything. Um, I just, I guess I just wasn't sure what to do. It's okay to then come back to the person and say, hey, you know what? Like I just, I, talk, I, I talked to somebody, I don't worry, I didn't give your name, but I thought about this. And, um, you know, I think we really need to go to the police about this, or we really need to do something else. I'm not comfortable with leaving things where they were. So anytime you freeze up in a situation, I had a student the other day, she <laughs> was trying out for badminton and she was on the varsity team the previous year. And the coach, you know, came to her and said, you know, we just like, you're a senior and I understand that you were on varsity last year, but you're really not going to get any playing time. And you're just such a great teammate. And I know you're going to be a great leader if you're on JV. So is that okay with you? Is that okay if, you, if we put you on JV? And of course, in the moment, she was taken aback and shocked. She knows she's not a terribly good badminton player. She kind of thought it was a fluke that she made badminton varsity last year. But she was sad and taken aback and embarrassed to be sort of relegated to JV. So she said, yeah, I I'm okay with it. And then when she left, she was really upset about it when she got to think about it. So she wrote her coach an email said, you know, I, I don't want you to think that I am okay with this because I'm not. And if it's if it's because these other people are just better players than me and you need to give the best players a chance to compete, then I accept that and I, I understand, but don't don't try to make me complicit in your decision by asking my permission for it. Like I want to be on varsity. If I'm not good enough to be on varsity, then just leave it there. But don't ask me like, oh, you're, you're kind of okay with that, right? Because that feels gross. And I was really proud of her that she sent that email because even though it didn't change the circumstances, it changed the way she felt about it and said, I will do this, you know, JV badminton. She's like, I'm not even one of the best six people on JV. I'm just like, I'm not, I know my skills. I'm not that great. It's just weird having been on varsity and having all my friends be at varsity to not be there. So she's saying as a, as an athlete, I don't belong on varsity and I can respect that, but it would just be, I, she's like, I would rather just be on varsity and not play very much and just hang out with my friends. Like I'm not on badminton because I'm obsessed with badminton. I'm on badminton because it's a way of hanging out with my friends and getting a study hall and getting out of PE. So, <laughs> and, but she's like, I couldn't say that to the coach. But anyway, with the points that she did make though, are something that that coach will hopefully keep in her mind. 
that this is something that the coach should have previewed with her. Just like, and again, and that's why as therapists, it, it is in the very first session that we talk about confidentiality. So when these things come up, now, when you're dealing with a friend, when you're dealing with a family member, you're not probably going to have preloaded. You're not going to be able to say, so if you ever share something with me, like I'm going to have to tell your mom because <laughs> that's just not what we do in friend relationships. But it's okay. And it's okay to say, hey, I'm thinking I need to, to tell your mom about this. What concerns do you have about me doing that? And you can listen to them, but you're still going to have to make the decision that's going to make you able to sleep at night. And that we can't be responsible for anybody else's safety and their behavior. I unfortunately have a number of parents that will, their child will talk about being suicidal and they'll have them sleep in with them for that night. And then hopefully that fixes it. And it's like, well, sometimes, sometimes that fixes it for a night. But if you're going to have to do that night after night, it's probably the right move for your child to be in the hospital for a couple nights. And what's weird, the hospital does not do anything particularly well. There's only one thing that hospitals are really good at, and that's keeping people from dying as far as mental health hospitals. And they will, but what's weird about this, the experience of being in the hospital, is that typically, sincerely, people do not want to be dead when they leave. They may still be really depressed, but they are truly safe. So that's a little bit of 101 information about what to do when a friend or someone that you care about declares that they're suicidal. Step one, determine, hey, are you being serious here? Like, what is your level of concern and, and safety? Can you promise me that you're going to be alive tomorrow? They're going to either say, yes, I can promise you I'll be alive tomorrow. They're going to say, no, I can't, or maybe. If they say no or maybe, we've got a real concern. And we have to probably do something about that and say, okay, well, what is our safety plan? And do not try to take this on on your own. That will exhaust you and burn you out of that friendship, that romantic relationship, whatever it is. Even therapists, we do not try to do that on our own. So figure out where is like the web of help and support that we can get around this person and making sure that we've got that. And if we, we can be a, okay, we're going to check in later this evening then. And if, if you aren't feeling better by nine o'clock tonight, then what's the number that I can call for your parents? Or do I need you to drive you to the hospital? No, no, it's fine. Don't make a big deal out of it. Well, it, it's a big deal. It'd be a big deal if you're dead. So, you know, we need to move that forward. So enough on kind of that topic. If you have more questions about what to do, if you have a friend or family member who is telling you, Either, maybe not that they're suicidal. If they're telling you that they were sexually assaulted, if they're telling you that they were, um, they're, they are dealing with bulimia, if they're telling you any of those things, and you're not sure how to handle that, email me at daniel.magler at live.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot M-A-I-G-L-E-R at L-I-V-E dot com. You can also reach me and see some of my thoughts on Quora. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out in any particular way. Please, if you like this podcast, follow, rate, and review. And until we talk again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. You're just not allowed to die. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, 
therapy is often not enough. Paws for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.